with that, would you open your Bibles to Genesis 12? I want to read just the first four verses. Would you stand as we read the word? And then I also want to take a moment before I pray. I'm going to read it and then just to talk about Memorial Day just a little bit because I think it's getting lost in the shuffle and I don't think that that's good. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So I want to close, I want to pray in a moment, but Memorial Day tomorrow, I hope in some way intentionally, we get together, we barbecue and all that stuff, but I hope in some way intentionally you'll remember and honor the men and women in our military that have given their lives for our freedom and our, and our, our government. And there's been many, many down through the years. That's what we're, that's what we're remembering. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, he was a 36 U.S. president. He said, quote, those who have long enjoyed such privilege as we enjoy forget in time that men and women have died to win them. And so I think it's really important that we're intentional about doing that, remembering that. And maybe you don't know anything about any of the wars. We've had a lot of peace. Maybe you don't know that. You're young. I want to ask you if, again, you would take the time to intentionally, as best as you can, just bow your, your head and your heart, maybe with your family, and just say, Lord, we are so thankful because we have a tremendous nation that's been founded and secured through a lot of bloodshed. So uh, what I would like to do before I pray for the Bible study if we can honor them this morning, just with a moment of silence, what I'd like you to do is put your hand over your heart to honor them and just bow your head and as you do, just to say thank you, Lord, and then also to pray that God would turn our nation back to him. So, Lord, here we are. Together is your body, looking at this scripture where you said to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. And a great nation is one that's built on righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So, Lord, we are. We're praying for our nation. We're asking you, Lord, for your mercy upon us, and and you pour out your spirit upon us. And then, Lord, as we're looking now at your word, we love your word. We look to it, Lord, and we know that that's your word to us. That's you speaking to us. That's you building into our lives a greater understanding of who you are, what you've done, and and who we are because of who you are. So we look to you now. I pray you pour your spirit out. The things I prepared, you break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. We're hungry. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As we're looking at this whole section in Genesis, this journey of faith that is our father Abraham is is our example. So, Lord, speak to our hearts and grant to us, I pray, a deepening faith in who you are, what you've done, and who we are because of who you are. So, please, bless our time now in this chapter. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So, we looked in Genesis 1 through 11 at four events. Creation, fall, flood, and nations. So that covered in 11 chapters about 2,000 years of of, of world history. Uh, Samuel Whitefield, in a book called It Must Be Finished, said this, quote, Genesis 1 through 11 
sets the stage for God's plan for world redemption. It tells us how sin and tragedy were introduced into the human experience and records God's commitment to redeem his creation, unquote. So from the rebellion that happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, God scatters the human race in a lot of different nations. Seventy of them are listed in Genesis chapter 10. Then God calls out one man to birth a nation and through that nation to reach all the other nations. It's always been his plan. So through that nation, God is giving an ongoing revelation of this plan to redeem the world. Purchase it back to himself. His first mention in Genesis 3.15 at the fall, this seed of the woman that's going to reverse the curse of sin, crush the power of Satan, death, and hell, and redeem the human race, the world, and the cosmos back to himself. So someone said, could God have done it differently? Well, I think that's a missing the point question. Really, the question is, why would God do it at all after man's rebellion against him? The answer is simply this. God is the only one who could do it. He's the only one who will to do it. He is the one who did do it, is doing it, and will yet do it. It's a perfect plan that will have this thing called a perfect finish. And here's why. God guaranteed it. And we're going to look at that beginning today. That's why Paul said to Timothy concerning the gospel, for this reason, this is in 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That God, we are secure in him. He holds us in his arms. So this plan of God, and this is what I want to focus a little bit on today, but as we go through this whole journey with Abraham, this plan of God is anchored in his promises and his covenants. It's anchored there. This plan is so mind-boggling, in fact, it's literally earth-shaking. This plan is not finished, but it will be, and it must be finished. So I hope that last week, as Joel Richardson was with us for the weekend, and maybe you're here just Sunday or one of those, I hope that he stirred your mind as to the second coming of Jesus. I'm telling you, I am so... In fact, I'm, right now we're working on a little, uh, a little tenure... Uh, tenure. <laughs> Could be 10 years easily. Uh, 10 week, what I'm going to call prophecy initiation come the fall. Because I think we've lost, in fact, I know it. We've lost this thing that was such a huge part of when I came back to Christ back in the hippie move during the Jesus movement. And that is that Jesus is coming back, his second coming. So I've talked to my sons who are young. I've talked to some young people, young, other young people, and it's not on, even on the radar. And I understand that. And I, uh, there's many reasons we could talk about that. But I want to say to you, I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to re-up this whole idea. It's not just an idea. It's a plan he has that Jesus is coming again the second time. And when he comes, he will complete the plan of God. It's not complete until he comes again, literally, to set up a literal kingdom on earth that will reign, he will reign a thousand years, after which we're going to go into eternity. That's all a part of it. But Jesus is coming again. Can you hear an Amen. So we go from these four events over 2,000 years now to these four people that covers about 350 years. Those four people are Abraham, who is the father of our faith. And then we have Isaac, who's the promised son. We have Jacob, who's the chosen and chastened son. That's chapters 28 through 36. And we have Joseph, who's the suffering and glorified son. 
Beautiful pictures that we're going to see of Jesus all the way through this as we do all through the Bible. Now, these were great men. Noah was a great man. David was a great man. Samuel was a great man. Solomon was a great man. But listen, they could not redeem the world. The only one who can redeem the world was Jesus. And he is the one that we look to that all these point to. There are great men in, throughout the history of man. But there's only one who's the greatest. And that is Jesus. So go to, back to chapter 11, verse 26. I want to look at Abraham's family tree. Now, interesting, Abraham was a Gentile and a Jew. Interesting. He's the father of our faith. Verse 26, now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram. Turned, his name was changed to Abraham, father of nations. Abram means father of height or tall. Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Now, that's mentioned now. We're going to see why that's so incredible. Verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's son Abram's wife. Notice, and they went out with them from Ur, the, Chal the Chaldeans, to go to the land of where? Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now this, I believe, is a second call of God on Abram's life. The Lord, it says the Lord had said to Abram. Now on the board here, I'm going to put up the scriptures, Stick, stay in Genesis. This is Acts 7, 2 through 4. This is Stephen, it's called the ultimate killer sermon because he gave it and he was killed. <laughs> And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was where? In Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in where? Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So it says in Genesis 12, 4, in your Bibles there, Abram was how old? 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So let's do the math. If Abram departed from Haran when he was 75, after his father's death, that says that he would have been, that Terah, his dad, was 130 years old when he was born. Okay? So how many of you have dads? Well, we're never going to get to 130. But notice then in verse 31, in chapter 11, Terah took his son, his grandson, went with them from Ur the Chaldeans now to, to go to the land of Canaan, but they stopped short in Haran and dwelt there. So it appears that Abram with his father began the journey to Canaan, but wound up settling short of Canaan in Haran. Now it's interesting, the word Haran means delay. So it seems to me that Abram was called at one point, but it was delayed probably because of the relationship he had with his dad. He was probably the youngest. Of, of his three. And so that may be what we don't know, but it, it appears that this is a second call of Abram, which is, it's encouraging to me. How many times has God had to call you sometime? 
to do something or go somewhere, and it gets delayed. That's a part of the call to faith. So God makes this astonishing, these astonishing promises to Abraham that he seals in covenant. A binding agreement that God promised to Abraham and swore to keep it. Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 13. Can we have that up there? Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. But thus God, notice this, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, the changelessness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things he promised it and he swore to it. In which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. God promised it and God swore to it. It's a one-sided promise. It's called a unilateral promise in this. It only depends on the ability of one party. That's a unilateral promise. God said he would do it. He's going to do it. He not only promised it, he swore to it. It's also called this unconditional promise. In other words, God's covenant could not be voided by the other party. God bound himself no matter what. God is still bound to this covenant to Abraham. Therefore, Genesis 17, 7, it's an everlasting covenant. Can we get that one? Genesis 17, 7. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now, we're going to look a lot more at this. I can't wait, actually, to get to Genesis chapter 15 because it's going to blow your mind. When God promises to Abraham, go out, look at the stars, and if you can count them. And then he does this, this ceremony, a covenant ceremony, that when we get into it, I think it's going to blow your minds. I just came across some things. I'm reading about it, and I'm going, wow, that is incredible. We'll get that in Genesis 15. Sorry. <laughs> okay, Genesis 12, again, your Bibles. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to this place of Shechem, as far as the terrible of the tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Now look at this scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an end. Now, that's what God remembers. Now, I believe it was a second. So, God sees all that went on, but finally he obeyed and went. God acknowledges that. The writer of Hebrews acknowledged that. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, I love this, not knowing where he was going. You ever, know not, you ever know, not know where you're going? See, that's the call to faith. Not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This world was not his home. And he knew that. It was temporary. 
And he knew that. He's basing all these things on the promises that God made to him. Now, we're going to look at that in Genesis 15 also, so sorry about that. <laughs> okay? Now, Hebrews 11 says this. 11.13. I don't have this up there. It says this in Hebrews twice. Now, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. All these, 11.13, died in faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, the Rahab harlot, and and time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and the kings, of the prophets. Time would fail me to tell you. But all of these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and said, I'm just a pilgrim in this planet. Friends, that's the call to faith. We are temporarily living in this place called this, this time of temporariness as believers. Now, verse 39, again, almost bracketing this hall of faith. He said, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for them that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You see, we are also a part of this promise that God made to Abraham. And that promise was fulfilled in one way among many. When Jesus came, the promised seed through Abraham's seed, Isaac, and down through the ages. I'm getting excited. Genesis, now look at Gen- another thing of the promise. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give what? This land, Canaan, the promised land. And what, notice what he did. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Now, it was only after Abraham made the move, after he finally did obey, that God now appeared to him. And that is also fascinating. This call to faith is when God himself appears to us. We see him in some manner. That's the kickoff, if you will. That's the confirmation that God does continually in our lives. I'll talk about that in a moment. That we experience personally. He appeared. So after he obeyed God, then God appeared to him and reconfirmed the same things he'd been telling him over and over and over again. And in response, what does Abraham do? He built an altar. He made a place and he took time to worship God, to worship him. Wow. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there again, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. It's almost like the first altar just say, thank you, God. And then he's calling the name of the Lord and said, I need you, God. I need you. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Wherever Abraham went, he built an altar. Now, the climax of Abraham's life, the climax of Abraham's faith is found when he built an altar in Genesis chapter 22. That's the most amazing prophetic picture you'll ever read in the Bible. As Isaac, he takes his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and there he's going to offer him as a sacrifice because God said, take your son, your only son, and offer on a, on a place that I will show you. And for three days, he's going up the mountain with Isaac. For three days in the, in the father's mind, the son is dead. And there he begins to take his, 
And in, his, in that act of faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, Hebrews, offered up his only son, in whom God had said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which you also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed in the resurrection. And let me say this, I'll add it. God promised Abraham would inherit that land. Now, Abraham died. He is, well, <laughs> that's what the Pharisees say. Well, Abraham's dead. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He called, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's not, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living, which tells me that Abraham will be resurrected, which I know, and he will literally inherit that land when Jesus comes again. Wow, I'm going, wow, are you kidding me? But not just him. God also will usher us into this kingdom because we have our faith in the same God, not Abraham, the same God of promise and covenant. Now, I have these moments, and I'm sure you do too, when I'm sort of caught off guard when I realize that God's speaking to me. Those moments that happened, it happened on a tennis court in Virginia when I was far from God. I was high on pot. And God, somebody gave me a track, and it's God came. And, you know, it's sort of these reverential moments when you realize God is here. There are mysterious things about this thing called faith. It's like you hear that still, small voice. And most of my awareness, <laughs> duh, is after the fact. That was, that was God doing that. It's like Paul said, God who called me from my mother's womb. Paul, Saul is looking back and realized God's been with me all the way. And we have these moments in our relationship with God where we hear in our hearts and somehow we respond to them and we realize God is here like Jacob as he's fleeing from Esau and he makes that pillow of a rock. No wonder he had these dreams. <laughs> he makes this pillow of rock and he sees this dream of a ladder coming down from heaven. The angels ascending and descending on it and he wakes up from his sleep and says, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Let me say to you, this thing called faith is an awareness that God is everywhere, always with us. Whether we're sleeping or not, he's there. And so I can give theological explanations, but I would say no words can describe that personal experience of having an appearance of God in your heart that you know is real and that transforms you over and over again as you re reflect back, God is here. It's as though his spirit is bearing witness with my spirit that I am the child of God. And he does that. Why does he do that? I don't know. Why did God call a 10-year-old wild boy to be saved? Why did God call a wandering, high, 20-year-old young man? Why did he meet me there? Why did he call me? I don't know. I can give no reason for it except to say that God is a God of promise and covenant, and I'm a part of it. Wow, I'm getting excited again. That God would call me. That God would choose me. I have no idea why that is. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He realized. And that's what happens when you come into the presence of God. It's like Peter saying, the Lord, depart from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And yet Jesus didn't depart. And God doesn't depart. He calls us again. He calls us again. He calls us again. I love what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that what? All things work together for good. It does not say all things are good. But all things work together for good to those who are called by God according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, these he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, people go, predestined, what does that mean? That means God already determined it. So, well, 
That's a little disturbing to me. Did he, did he predestine me? Well, I don't know. See, it doesn't shake me up at all. God chose me. God predestined me. That doesn't shake me up at all. Well, it's shaking me up a little bit. Well, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Well, I don't want to do that. Well, maybe God hasn't chosen you. See, that's what it comes down to this interaction of God coming to us, and he comes through the gospel. And we're not saying he comes with this message that's simple. It's almost full. It is foolishness to the world. If you will believe in what Jesus accomplished. Now, that's not based on some... Um, some fantasy. It's based in history. It's based in theology. It's based in what God did for us on the cross with his son. The beginning of secure, actually the cross secured all the promises. See, we're not just, oh, well, we're going to just dawdle along here on things. That, it's not this blind leap of faith. It's a response to the living God, the Holy Spirit in your heart that begins this journey with God. He said, moreover, notice he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's the, what, you want to know God's will for your life? I'll tell you. It's very simple. It's right there. God's will for your life is to make you more like Jesus. That's pretty simple. This call to faith is a call to be transformed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. In other words, he's going to get the glory, not me or you. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also, past tense, glorified. Wow. Now, can you grasp that? I hope you say no, because neither can I. God already sees it done in your life and mine. He sees it all. So, like Abraham, we all have this faith journey that we're on. These chapters have a lot to teach us about the mysteries, what I call the mysteries and the majesty of faith. It's majestic because it's a kingdom. It's a king. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He did not go alone. His most intimate relationships were tested. He learned to believe God for his promises. He also learned to trust God in his choices. And on and on goes the list that we're going to be getting. But see, this is what I want to begin with. These are all a part of a foundation that is built on God's promises and God's covenant with Abraham. It's God who called Abraham. It's God who chose Abraham. It's God who promised Abraham. No different for us. God called Abraham, and he never looked back. Now, that, wouldn't that be a little, little shaky up a little bit? Well, God, you know, I chose you, but I'm just not sure anymore. I don't know if that's I mean. I, see, God knows me intimately. He knows what he got, and I tell him that sometimes. I say, God, I'm a mess, but you, you, I'm your problem. I'm your problem. You know, the book of Hosea, the picture of adulterous wife, and God saying to him, go again, go again, go again. How many times has God, as our husband, come back to us, the adulterous wife, said, I'm, gonna, I'm staying with you. The covenant's been made. God called, never looked back. But listen, what he did do was accept to remind him of his promises, to remind him of the covenant. And that's exactly what our call to faith is all about. God's not dragging up the past again. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, I think I goofed. <laughs> no, he's saying, 
remember me. We're going to take communion. Remember me. And so, before we take communion, I want to just give you some of my thoughts, and I hope maybe we'll spur you on as we take communion, just to consider again this call to faith. It's first of all, and very simply, it's the call to believe God. To believe God. To believe His Word. To believe the revelation He's given to us of who He is. Beginning by believing the gospel. That's what the call is. It's the call to believe God. Hebrews tells us, without faith, it's impossible to believe. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is. What do you believe about who God is? You need the word of God. You need to respond to the gospel. You need the spirit of God. I need the spirit of God to reveal these things to us. Now, let me say this here. Unbelief is the enemy of faith. What is unbelief? Unbelief is simply when our hearts are hardened by questioning the character of God or the ways of God. That's what happened to the children of Hebrews in the wilderness, the Jews in the wilderness. They hardened their hearts in the day of their rebellion. And God said, because you have not known my ways. And that's unbelief. I'm questioning the character of God. I'm questioning the ways that God is dealing in my life. And that happens all the time for us. That's what we're talking about, this call to faith. We're going to have those things that are going on. And so here's what I would say. Being honest about how you feel. I'm going to use the word fear, feel. Honest about how you feel about who God is and what he's doing in your life. I feel like he is unfair. I feel like he should have never have let that happen. You see, and with those things, it surfaces what's going on in your heart, in your mind, about who God is and what he's doing and how he does it. And in addressing those kinds of things, you now are getting your eyes off of the fruit and onto the root. Who is God? And then we need to reestablish who he is. He is not unfair. He knows all that he's doing. He loves me. He loves me to the very end. He chastens me, yes, because he loves me. He allows things to happen for his purposes and for my purpose, for, for shaping me and for his glory. He does all those things. We have to get back down to this thing, who is God? What has he done? And then who am I in him? It's a call not only to believe God, but to obey God. Obey the gospel, obey his word. Here's another one. This call to faith is the call to put your past behind you. Your past is your past. You can't change it, but let me say this. You can leave it behind because of Jesus. You can walk away in that sense by faith in trusting God. This call of Abram was a call out of a pagan culture to walk with God. His father was an idolater worshiping demonic gods. Part ways, God said, with your past. And for us, the same thing. It's a call to put behind us our past. Paul said, these things I do. One thing, I forget those things that are behind. I'm not saying that's emotionally uh, something like, okay, I don't. No, there's those things that have gone on in our past that, yes, we walk with those. But I trust God with them. I trust that God knows what he's doing and he in his timing will be delivering. Paul said, you know, I prayed three times. God, could you let this thorn in the flesh get away from me? A painful, something very painful to him. And I do believe that there are things that have happened in my life way back that I can still think of even just a scene that did something to me at that time that was very deep 
very hurtful. And for some reason, God hasn't sort of taken that away. I believe that God allows those things so that like Paul, I can say the same thing. Grace of God is sufficient for me. That in my weakness, his strength is perfected. That there are these things that keep me, like Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure, this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan buffeted me. Paul said, would you get rid of that? Would you get? God said, it's to help you to walk with me and to know me and to know that in all your weakness, I am strong. And so it's a call to get up and get going again. It's a call to keep your eyes on Jesus. It's a call to embrace weakness. Oh, how I hate to embrace weakness. <laughs> and the older I get, the frailer I feel, and the less I like it. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> but I'll tell you what happens in weakness. If we can keep our eyes on Jesus, we can get up and go, and we realize more and more the depth of the beauty and the width and length and depth and height of God that passes knowledge, that passes weakness. Embrace it. Abraham was far from perfect, as we're going to see. It's the call to persevere patiently, expectantly, and hopefully. That we are not following some cunningly devised fable. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories which shall reveal where? In us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inner, inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment, look at the comparison, light moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, because the things that are seen are temporal, but we look at the things that are not seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. Eyes on Jesus. We're persevering patiently, expectantly, hopefully. And here's another one. This call to faith is, to call, is the call to be okay with the unknown. To be okay, be at peace with the unknown. I, I look at this. Faith can stare into the unknown and get excited. That's what can happen. He didn't know where he was going. I don't know where I'm going. You, in some ways, don't know. We can stare into those unknowns with great anticipation because we know in whom we believed. We know that we're following God. And finally, as we take communion, and I hope some of these things will stir in your heart, something that you can pray for now as we go take communion before God. Just to respond in this call to faith. And maybe there has been things in your life, maybe there are right now, in a sense, you're charging God foolishly about. And maybe there's something else. You say, Lord, forgive me. That is not who you are. That is not what you've done. Maybe it's those kind of things. Maybe there's this need you have just to re-center re yourself on the hope that's ours, even though this life is difficult. Maybe it's a time you say, okay, I'm going to put my eyes back on the future. I'm going to forget this past thing. I'm going to lay them as best as I can at Jesus' feet, and I'm going to go forward today. Maybe it's one of those things. This final one is simply this. It's the call to build another altar. Build another altar. And it says there, he, because God appeared to him. And then he called on the name of the Lord. And so it's this idea of making a time and finding a place where you will grow in knowing God's love for you. To make a time and find a place, and maybe this is something you'll bring to the Lord now in communion.
where you'll be thankful for what God has done for you. See, it begins who he is and what he's done. And then to make a time and find a place where you'll be reminded again of who you are in him. We are a I am a child of God. I have the right to be called a child of God. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads together. Let's just respond now to the Holy Spirit. And I want to, before we start passing out communion, just to give an opportunity to anyone here who doesn't know Jesus yet. And Lord, we're praying because we know there's a battle that goes on for every soul to come and believe the gospel, to come and respond to the gospel. And so as our heads are bowed, eyes closed, and praying as, as believers in this room, if that's you this morning, you don't know Jesus yet. We're praying right now and hoping that you'll say yes to him today, right here in this room. You'll say yes to him, and maybe, and I'm, I'm almost confident that there's been that, that inkling in your heart, that little voice, something telling you you need to get right with God. You're aware of guilt. You're aware of an emptiness. You're aware that you have a lot of things, but they haven't satisfied. You're aware of that you need God. And, you, and I would also surmise you've heard this before. But today, don't harden your hearts, but respond to the gospel. Three things I'm going to ask you to do. Number one, just raise up your hand and say, I, need, I want to say yes to Jesus. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up. In so doing, you're obeying the gospel. And when you do that, all the fears, all the excuses that you've had up to this point, he's going to wash them away because you've been obedient. He'll appear, as it were, to you. I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables on either side. And there someone will pray with you before God's throne of grace that you would receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So as we're praying, if that's you, if you just raise up your hand. I don't want to miss that. I know God won't miss it. But we would like to be a part of what God's doing in your life, beginning in this place of salvation. So we're praying. If that's you, just I want to say yes to Jesus. Just one more moment. Just praying. Lord, we're praying. The most important decision that anyone will ever make is between heaven and hell, life and death, and that is given to us, secured through Christ, heaven and eternal life. Anyone else? Anyone here? Okay. So as the emblems are passed out, would you just hold them as we're worshiping the Lord and bring some of your thoughts and some of these things to the Lord right now in communion. Just kind of recenter yourself in Him who loves you, died for you, and we're going to remember His death until He comes. So just hold them and then I'll come and we'll take them together as the body of Christ. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.